podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Hey everyone. This Lent, we decided to do a series on euthanasia in light of Bill C-7 in Canada, which seeks to expand access to euthanasia, but also to remove some important safeguards. And we actually had Garnet Jenis, uh, who's a member of Parliament with us for our first episode, but we released it early in light of the urgency of Bill C-7. So this week, we wanted to bring you some more important resources that can help to inform you about this issue. So the first is Cardinal Collins speaking on Bill C-7. The second is an excerpt from a homily of his on February 14th of 2021. And the third is him speaking in front of a parliamentary committee on euthanasia in 2016, specifically about conscience rights um, in healthcare settings and for healthcare workers. We hope you find these informative and don't forget to check out our website for other ways that you can get involved. The federal government has introduced new legislation expanding the eligibility criteria for euthanasia. The inaccurate term medical assistance in dying or MAID is currently used to describe what this law would allow. But this process is more accurately called euthanasia or assisted suicide. Pain medication and other resources and procedures can be used effectively to medically assist people who are dying. But that is not what MAID means. It means giving a lethal injection to people who are not dying, so that they will die. Those who oppose euthanasia expressed concern in 2016, when it was first legalized, that once the state legally provided death for some, it would only be a matter of time before the criteria for that would be expanded. This was dismissed as a slippery slope argument we were told that safeguards would protect the most vulnerable. Now, less than four years later, we are far down the slope and the criteria for euthanasia have been radically expanded. There is no longer a requirement that the person receiving euthanasia be terminally ill. Under this legislation, any serious incurable illness, disease or disability would render one eligible for euthanasia. Additionally, without any further study or direction from the courts, the new legislation would legalize euthanasia where consent is obtained by an advanced directive. This is a new chapter of death on demand. Canada has cast aside restrictions at a far quicker pace than any other jurisdiction in the world that has legalized euthanasia. As our legislators and country consider the legislation presented this week in Parliament, we should be mindful of the following. In 2016, the government indicated that before any new legislation would be introduced, there would be a thorough five-year review of the impact of euthanasia in Canada. No such review has taken place. Yet the government moves forward without such critical analysis even though it is reported that since 2016, at least 13,000 people have died from lethal injection. Where is the political will to push forward on palliative care for all Canadians? Only 30% of Canadians have access to quality palliative care, even though we know that pain and loneliness are among the biggest fears of those who are suffering. 
Palliative care can address these issues. If all Canadians had access to quality palliative care, fewer would seek lethal injection. Instead of developing an overall culture of care, we are rushing towards death on demand. The same doctors who are trying to care for their patients will now be called on to endorse euthanasia for them. Under the proposed legislation, disabled Canadians with no terminal illness will now be eligible for lethal injection. People with disabilities already face substantial challenges relating to employment, housing, appropriate medical care and support. Their lives matter. They should never be seen as a burden to our society. We should be alarmed that those who have struggled for decades to be treated with equality may well be pressured, whether from family, friends, or even their own healthcare professionals, to ease their burden and end their lives. These people need assisted living, not assisted death. I invite all Canadians concerned about this legislation to contact their Member of Parliament to voice their concerns. We should also take time to be truly present to those who may feel that they are on the margins in our community. Those who feel that their life no longer has value must be assured by all of us that this is absolutely not the case. There is dignity within each human life, not just when we're young and healthy and able, but even more so when we are fragile and vulnerable. It is up to every Canadian to foster a culture of care and love for one another. The answer is not assisted death in its many forms. It is accompanying our family, our friends, and even strangers to assist them in life, recognizing the inherent dignity of every person. We also think in, in this country, these are days of sadness, days of tragedy, days of deep tragedy. For in our capital city in Ottawa, our parliamentarians are busy about the expansion of lethal injection. I call it lethal injection. I don't call it medical assistance and dying, for those are words that are used to hide reality. It is what it is. It is not medical assistance to people who are dying. It is someone is sick or even not so sick, depending on how it's all very subjective, and needles put in and they die. Now that's not, you know what that means? I think we should, words should say, words should carry the burden of meaning. They should not be empty cars, trains that go by with nothing in them. A sad days in our country, sad, sad days is our government without any concern really for conscience protection. Is, and I said years ago at a, at a meeting in Parliament, we were testifying, these so-called protections, these whatever safeguards, are marketing tools so that we'll get it in and then snap, 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 they're all snapped off and that's what's happening right now. So let's pray, pray about that and recognize why do people, why are they rushing to this? What's happening here? Well, to some degree, it is a, a concern and a fear and understandable about pain. And so it is legitimate and real. And that's why we need to, we do thank medical science for helping to control pain. We think of palliative care, of which we have very little in this country, that can help people, not just medically, but in other ways. Sometimes people, though, are afraid. I do not want to continue living because I'm lonely. What's the point? 
And that's why we need to reach out in relationship and love and friendship, care for people. We don't need uh, instructions for that. We need to love people. Make them, nobody should ever feel that their life is not worth living. We need to reach out to them. Care and love, that's what our Lord calls us to. And sometimes people feel, I'm a burden to my family. I, I'm a burden. I mean, people never feel that. We need to reach out and help and, and be with those who may feel that way, that we are all loved, respected, cared for. It's in the building of those relationships of generous love that we see that this terrible path in which our country is traveling so rapidly is not the right way. There are other ways, and we must provide them through love, through practical care and love. For we're made in the image and likeness of God. We're called to love one another, and, not, and we're also not called to say, it's my life, I can do what I want. No, we're not autonomous little islands. Our life of each of us is a gift to everyone else. We're not little islands of autonomous will. We're called to live in relationships of love, and when those are broken down, we're called, each one of us, let's reach out and show that practical care. Remember people, love them, let people not feel isolated, unclean as the, as the leper is in the gospel today. Let people not feel that. We need to reach out. That we can do, that we must do. What the government does, the government does, but we need to do what we're called to do. And what we're called to do in every way, to pray for everyone, as we do at every Mass, to pray every day for those people around us, to do so. Care for people, reach out, phone, contact people, show that love, to do it every day. And in our generous care for others, in our forgetfulness of ego and our reaching out to those who are lonely, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? To all the people who are lonely. And if we are lonely and reaching out, we lose our loneliness in that way. In all of this, through our gentle, loving presence, personal presence, we not only pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but through that practical love, we live in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have two pre groups presenting. First of all, we have uh, His Eminence, uh, Cardinal Thomas Collins, Archbishop of Toronto, and with him, Lawrence Worthen, Executive Director of the Christian Medical and Dental Society of Canada and the Coalition for Healthcare and Conscience. We welcome you. I will remind you that together you have a total of 10 minutes for your presentation. Oh, uh, Your Eminence, I will turn to you and your colleague. Uh, please uh, present, make your presentation. Thank you. And good evening, and thank you for allowing us this opportunity to provide input on such a profoundly important subject. I appear today on behalf of the Coalition for Healthcare and Conscience. Joining me is Larry Worth, the Executive Director of the Christian Medical and Dental Society of Canada. We are like-minded organizations committed to protecting conscience rights for health practitioners and facilities. In addition to the Catholic Archdiocese of Toronto and the Christian Medical and Dental Society of Canada, 
Our members also include the Catholic Organization for Life and Family, the Canadian Federation of Catholic Physician Societies, the Canadian Catholic Bioethics Institute, and Canadian Physicians for Life. I will address two issues, conscience protection for healthcare workers and palliative care and support services for the vulnerable. For centuries, faith-based organizations and communities have cared for the most vulnerable in our country, and they do so to this day. We know what it is to journey with those who are facing great suffering in mind and body, and we are committed to serving them with a compassionate love that is rooted in faith and expressed through the best medical care available. We were brought together by a common mission, to respect the sanctity of human life, which is a gift of God, to protect the vulnerable, and to promote the ability of individuals and institutions to provide health care without being forced to compromise their moral convictions. It is because of this mission that we cannot support or condone assisted suicide or euthanasia. Death is the natural conclusion of the journey of life in this world. As the author of the book of Ecclesiastes wisely observed long ago, the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the life breath returns to the God who gave it. Death comes to us all, and so patients are fully justified in refusing burdensome and disproportionate treatment that only prolongs the inevitable process of dying. But there is an absolute difference between dying and being killed. It is our moral conviction that it is never justified for a physician to help take a patient's life under any circumstances. We urge you to consider carefully the drastic negative effects physician-assisted suicide will have in our country. Killing a person will no longer be seen as a crime, but instead will be treated as a form of health care. According to the Supreme Court, adults at any age, not just those who are near death, may request assisted suicide. Following the lead of some European countries whose experience with assisted suicide and euthanasia we disregard at our peril, the Provincial Territorial Expert Advisory Group has already gone beyond the restriction of assisted suicide to adults and has proposed that children be included. The right to be put to death will, in practice, become, in some cases, the duty to be put to death as subtle pressure is brought to bear on the vulnerable. Those called to the noble vocation of healing will instead be engaged in killing with a grievous effect both upon the integrity of a medical profession committed to do no harm and upon the trust of patients and those from whom they seek healing. Even those doctors who support this legalization in principle may be uneasy when they experience its far-reaching implications. The strong message from the Supreme Court is unmistakable. Some lives are just not worth living. We passionately disagree. In light of all this, it is clear that reasonable people with or without religious faith can have a well-founded moral conviction in their conscience that prevents them from becoming engaged in any way in the provision of assisted suicide and euthanasia. They deserve to be respected. It is essential that the government ensure that effective conscience protection is given to health care providers, both institutions and individuals. They should not be forced to perform actions that go against their conscience or to refer the action to others, since that is the moral equivalent of participating in the act itself. It's simply not right or just to say, you do not have to do what is against your conscience, but you have to be sure it happens. 
Our worth as a society will be measured by the support we give to the vulnerable. People facing illness may choose to end their lives for reasons of isolation, discouragement, loneliness, poverty, even though they may have many years yet to live. What does it say about us as a society when the ill and the vulnerable in our midst feel like burdens? Often a plea for suicide is a cry for help. Society should respond with care and compassionate response for these vulnerable people, not with death. Proper palliative care to date is not available to the majority of Canadians. It is a moral imperative for all levels of government in our country to focus attention and resources on providing that care, which offers effective medical control of pain, and even more importantly, loving accompaniment of those who are approaching the inevitable end of life on Earth. Now, Larry Worthen will now provide more detail about some specific recommendations. Thank you, Cardinal Collins. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen of the committee, his eminence has provided you some insight into our concerns about how legalizing physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia will impact vulnerable patients. Provided they can consent, people with disabilities such as rheumatoid arthritis, paraplegia, or those with mental health difficulties could qualify for assisted death according to the criteria set down by the courts. Often people who have these challenges are struggling in a world with many barriers. The danger is that they will choose assisted death because of the failure of our society to provide the necessary support. Through increased access to palliative care, disability, chronic disease and mental health services, Canada can significantly reduce the number of people who see death as the only viable option to end their isolation, their feeling of being a burden, and their sense of worthlessness. Our concern for our patients extends to our concern for conscience protection. Recently, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario passed a policy requiring referral for assisted death. A referral is the recommendation or a handing over of care to another doctor on the advice of the referring physician. The requirement to refer forces our members to act against their moral conviction that assisted suicide or euthanasia will in fact harm their patients. If they refuse to refer, they'll risk disciplinary action by the Ontario College. When a proposed practice calls into question such a foundational value of the common good of society and the foundational value of the very meaning of a profession, a healthcare worker has the right to object. A healthcare worker does not lose their right to moral integrity just because they choose a particular profession. In the landmark Carter case, the Supreme Court of Canada said that no physician could be forced to participate in assisted death. They also said that this was a matter that engaged the charter freedoms of conscience and religion. It is not in the public interest to discriminate against a category of people based upon their moral convictions and religious beliefs. This does not create a more tolerant, inclusive, or pluralistic society, and it is ironic that this is being done all in the name of choice. Fortunately, six other colleges have not required referral. We have enumerated several possible options for the federal government to ensure that these charter rights are respected all across the country, we have a legal opinion that we will make available to the committee uh, that lists five ways that the federal government could protect conscience rights. If the federal government does not act, 
then we risk a patchwork quilt of regulatory practices and a serious injustice being done to some very conscientious, committed, and capable doctors. Despite our concerns, members of our coalition will not obstruct the patient's decision should this legislation be put in place. The federal government could establish a mechanism allowing patients direct access to a third-party information and referral service that would provide them with an assessment once they have discussed assisted death with their own doctor and clearly decided they wish to seek it. Our members do not wish to abandon their patients in their most challenging moments of vulnerability and illness. When we get a request for assisted death, should this legislation go ahead, we'll probe to determine the underlying reason for the request to see if there are alternatives for management. We'll provide complete information about all available medical options, including assisted death. However, our members must step away from the process, allowing the patient to seek the assessment directly once they have a firm commitment to take that path. Like our coalition, the Canadian Medical Association has stated that doctors should not be required to do referrals for assisted suicide or euthanasia. It's important to remind the committee that no other foreign ju jurisdiction requires physician compliance in assisted death through referral. In closing, we highlight four areas of serious concern. The need for improved patient services, including, including palliative, mental health care, and support for people with disabilities. Protection of the vulnerable. Provisions that physicians, nurses, and other healthcare professionals not be required to refer for or perform assisted death or be discriminated against because of their moral convictions. And finally, protection for healthcare facilities like hospitals, nursing homes, and hospices who are unable to provide assisted death on their premises because of their organizational values. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you, Mr. Warwa. <laughs> Thank you to the witnesses for being here. Uh, very interesting. Um, I, I uh, researched the Unitarian Council and I didn't see any hospitals that had been uh, established to the Unitarian Church, but I, I did uh, find many, many that are faith-based uh, Catholic hospitals. Um, there has, and I appreciate uh, the question from MP Shanahan um, and her sharing that we should not impose our, our beliefs on other Canadians. Uh, but there's this balance of faith and doing what's right uh, in our own hearts, too. My question is, and also there's been comment around this table, that, um, that doctors' uh, conscience uh, should be protected um, and uh, maybe not to do it themselves, but to refer. And I'm understanding that uh, you believe, uh, and I've heard from most physicians, actually, I think with 70% of physicians do not want to have to be required to refer. 30%, uh, which is 24,000 physicians, are willing to uh, practice this. So focusing on the 70%, um, th that I think most Canadians believe that they should not be forced to perform such uh, as suicide or euthanasia. They should not be forced to refer. But there's been a question, um, I think, from, um, from one of our senators that, that institutions, uh, BRICS, do not have conscience. If you could comment, um, do, do institutions have a, a, a value system that would say yes or no? Um, should they have the right to say no as an institution? Um, and is there a possibility of having possibly a uh, um, harmonizing system where you have institutions, hospitals, like a Catholic hospital, that is not bound because they're providing health care, but they could be known for 
uh, a hospital that provides health and natural death, and there could be some hospitals that provide that other uh, choice. Could you, could you comment on that? I think it's very true to say that institutions are not uh, bricks and mortar. You don't look around and say this is, institutions are made of people. Institutions are like the Sisters of St. Joseph, the, uh, the Grey Nuns, the, uh, all the various groups who brought health, loving health care to this place. They're not things, they're communities of people. And they have values. That's why people come to them. That's why they seek them out. They, they know when they go to, for example, a, a hospital, I can think of, uh, say, Michael's Hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, Providence Centre, which has a wonderful palliative care place. They know they can trust when they come to the Sisters or they come to the, the church. And it's true as well for Jewish and uh, Protestant and uh, similar institutions, of which there are many in my own diocese, there are very many, uh, that they can trust that we have certain values that we hold to. Those values are important for our whole society. Uh, I mean, political parties have values, other institutions have values. They're not objective things, they're not like material things, and that's a great value for our whole community. Um, these institutions are funded by the government because they do an immense good work. Uh, they provide a variety, diversity, choice, I might say, to people. And that's very, very important. So I would say that institutions provide the spirit. I think of the one next to where I live, the Urban Angel, St. Michael's. It's a sign of hope, hope for people. And if you, if you would undermine the institution for what it is, our society will be very, very much uh, harmed. Our whole community would be a lot harsher, colder, crueler, without the witness given by communities of faith who are on the ground, on the street, day by day, caring for the most needy. I don't think they should be undermined or attacked. Any time? One minute. Um, Mr. Thank you, uh, um, Collins. Um, I, I'm just uh, wondering about the, um, the safeguards to ensure the conscience. You said you had some ideas of how physicians that do not want to participate um, within a federal regime, I had heard that the, one of the suggestions was that it could be a criminal offense to force someone, a physician or an institution, to force someone to be involved with this. Is this one of the suggestions that, uh, that you were considering? Yes, our, our legal brief has five different options in all. Uh, one of them would be, just as in some of the provincial college documents, uh, doctors uh, who choose to do euthanasia are protected against uh, discrimination uh, on the part of faith-based institutions. So also we would ask that doctors who uh, do not want to do euthanasia are also, are also protected. And that could be uh, by way of a criminal statute that would make it unlawful for someone to be coerced to participating in this. Thank you, Mr. Rankin. Thank you. I particularly appreciate uh, uh, Cardinal Collins, your strong assertion of the need for our committee to address palliative care, and I really appreciate you putting that on the table. I wanted to, uh, I guess, explore a little bit what Mr. Wara was just saying, uh, presumably to Mr. Worthen, the question. Um, I'm going to read to you from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, their interim guidance. They talk about physicians must provide an effective referral, quote, to a non-objecting, available and accessible physician or agency in a timely manner. And in my province of British Columbia, this similar body says, quote, physicians must ensure effective transfer of care for their patients. This is in the context of conscience protection for health care 
providers. Now, you stated this obligation to refer patients would violate their conscience rights of certain physicians, and instead there should be a mechanism to provide patients with third-party information, assessment, and services. I'm a little concerned, though, because other witnesses have told us that simply providing um, a person who w wishes to exercise their constitutional right can't be limited by a Yellow Pages reference, an 800 number, or a website. So I'm trying to get my head around what you're suggesting, and in particular, how that would affect the right of access, effective right of access for Canadians in remote communities, if one were to accede to your recommendation. Okay, uh, thank you for the question. It's a very good one. Um, I think that uh, there needs to be more. Uh, our, our proposal is not to simply send someone to the Yellow Pages. Far from it. Our, our doctors are committed to the life and well-being of their patients. So they would want to maintain the physician-patient relationship. They would want to discuss this important decision with their patients. They would want to provide the patient, they would want to spend time determining what the reason for the request is, and they would also want to ensure that the patient uh, was able to uh, get uh, the assessment if they so desired it. They would not want to stand in the way of that. I'm not talking, we sh are, should not be talking in this country about having uh, a, a simple operator at the end of the phone that is going to give someone a number. We, in, in my view, we should be responding compassionately to these people because uh, these, most, many of these people will need services, support, and help. And so this, this service that is anticipated by the Canadian Medical Association, I think uh, similar in the, in the provincial territorial um, uh, expert advisory group recommendations, would be for support services to be made available and for this uh, person to get an appropriate uh, assessment and uh, in, in a thorough way. We're not talking about sending some of the yellow pages. This is in a thorough way. Now, I think that something like this is really important in a more remote community because even in a remote community, you might have one doctor uh, or two doctors, uh, both might be people who are not prepared to participate in assisted death. This will mean that it would be important for that individual to be able to get access to this service. And that service, I think the responsibility is on government to ensure that that service is available and provided. Then I can, if in the time that's available, that's so short, um, I want to go to the institutional side. We've talked about the conscience of the healthcare provider. I'd like to turn again to the institutional argument and to quite, quite boldly put forward that if uh, an institution of which the Cardinal has spoken receives public funding, shouldn't they be required to provide all Canadians with the constitutional rights that they now have? I understand about the professional, and you've put some good arguments forward, but I'm still at a loss to understand why a, a body that receives public funding shouldn't be required to be providing constitutional rights that all Canadians now enjoy. Well, I, I would say, I would just to answer that quickly, uh, the, I, I would say that it's misreading the Carter decision to say that it, would, that it requires individual physicians or facilities to provide this service. What it says is that uh, people, Canadians have the right to this, but it doesn't say that they have a right to it from every uh, individual uh, institution or individual doctor. 
there's only one such institution in a remote northern Ontario community, for example. Well, this happens all the time in medical care. There are certain procedures that are only provided in certain places. It would be up to the it's up to government. You know, the department departments of health cannot shirk their responsibilities here. If this is something that the Supreme Court has mandated, then the departments of health have to find ways to provide these services. And if if that means that they have to send a physician out to that individual or bring that physician in, that's co that commonly happens. Like I, I don't. I, I th uh, your Eminence, I appreciate your. Uh you know, your faith-based uh, opposition to phys uh, physician-assisted dying, but that's not the issue before us. You know, the court has made a decision, and we're bound by that decision, and physician-assisted dying is a constitutional right for those eligible to access it. And so, um, and I appreciate the concerns that you've expressed about uh, conscientious objectors and the, the, the nobody being forced to participate. But it seems to me, and I'd ask for your comments, that what we're really looking at here is we ought to be looking at it through the eyes of the affected patient. And that it's the, the rights and, and beliefs that we, we might have have to be accommodated to meet those rights that the patient has. So I'd, I'd like you to, to, to turn, you know, perhaps you would wish that there is not going to be a physician-assisted death in this country, but there is. So. What precautions, what particular specific precautions should we be recommending be put in place to protect abuse and protect the vulnerable? And I think all of us would want to afford every protection to the vulnerable and to protect. But what specifically should we be recommending that would allow physician-assisted death to proceed, but at the same time providing appropriate protections uh, for the vulnerable. I'm certainly uh, sure that there are people, many around this table and around the country, who um, are very much uh, committed to assuring that the physician-assisted suicide takes place. And it is a thing, obviously, after the Carter decision, this is the project of this, this committee. Uh, I, as, a, as I have made clear, I don't believe that that is um, the direction the country should be going. And it would be far be it from me to try to, or to be uh, suggesting, um, making it like, should we have three doctors, two doctors, should we have one, should we do? I don't believe it should happen. So I'm, I, I'm, I, I can't get into that. that. your eminence, but, 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 but I, that's I'm not sure where other, we are. I'm sure other people will be doing that, but I'm, I don't believe in the thing itself. What I do believe is that, that the rights of conscience of people who have who are constantly involved with compassionately caring for those most in need need to be protected and i also believe that an alternatives should be presented funded and very directly and that would be palliative care i, I can't you're, i, I you're mean all of us again you're yeah. you're preaching to the choir here because all of us would would believe that there ought to be more readily accessible better palliative care available to more Canadians. But again, that's not our issue. Our issue is, and maybe Mr. Worthen can address this issue of precisely what is it, what are these, you spoke about protection of the vulnerable as being a concern. What can we do to protect the vulnerable in within a regime which permits the constitutional right of eligible persons to access physician-assisted dying? Well, uh I'm with the Cardinal on this. Um, I spent some time to, uh, a year and a half ago with Dr. Theo Bohr, 
who is a medical ethicist in the Netherlands. He was on a, uh, a uh, uh, euthanasia commission there. Their job was to review uh, cases. And he told me, uh, he indicated, we went through every one of the so-called safeguards that were available in the Dutch statute. And he explained to me about cases that he had where doctors had circumvented those. Uh, and uh, studies have shown that in, in, in one study showed that in about 20% of cases, doctors were actually performing euthanasia when they thought they were doing um, palliative sedation. So after, in my discussion with Dr. Bohr, I said it appears to me that these so-called safeguards are just there to sell the concept of assisted suicide. Surely if there are safeguards in place and physicians or other health professionals disregard or circumvent those precautions, and that's a disciplinary matter for the College of Physicians and Surgeons or the Nurses Association? Or Unfortunately, if you look at what's actually happening in these countries, uh, doctors just get a slap on the wrist. Well, uh, they get a letter, they get a letter uh, telling them. I mean, the, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that once you accept the idea that, that, that state-sanctioned killing of patients is morally acceptable and you open it a crack, it becomes almost impossible to find a place to stop that process. I don't, Mr. Cooper. Chair, I will uh, provide the balance of my time to uh, Mr. Janus. Thank you very much, and, and thank you to the witnesses for, for being here today. Uh, Cardinal Collins, uh, Mr. Worthen, I, I think you bring a, a refreshing perspective, and uh, I would say respectfully, it's, it's a perspective that I wish we could have had an opportunity to hear more of uh, at this committee. Uh, but I have, I have two specific issues that I'd like to raise, and I'll raise them both at the same time, if that's okay, and then leave the balance of, of my time to you gentlemen to, to respond to them as you wish. My understanding is that the idea of dignity a word that we hear often in this committee uh, is very important in the Catholic tradition as well. Uh, but sometimes I think we use the word, words like dignity and compassion uh, without, without a certain precision to them. Uh, so I wonder if, uh, if Cardinal Collins, if you could talk to us a little bit about the understanding of dignity in the Catholic tradition and, and give us a little bit of a definition. Of, of course, we would all like to see people have dignity at the point of their death. And perhaps then we need to think a little bit about what dignity really means. Then the second issue uh, I want to hear more about is uh, the subject of, of palliative care. I think all of us agree here that palliative care is good, that we would like to see more palliative care. Uh, but I think we need to go further than that and recognize that it is not just desirable, but necessary to provide people uh, with palliative care. Uh, and this, this was made clear by the report uh, of the expert panel that, that a request for physician-assisted death, I'm quoting here, cannot be truly voluntary if the option of proper palliative care is not available to alleviate a person's suffering. Uh, in other words, it isn't a genuinely autonomous choice at all uh, if we continue to provide palliative care to such a tiny fraction of Canadians. And in fact, if we, if we proceed with this and don't respect conscience for institutions, I fear that we'll see the closure of more faith-based palliative care services uh, who, who do not, uh, aren't willing to provide this. So I wonder if you can comment uh, both on the issue of what dignity means and also uh, on the centrality of palliative care. Okay, maybe I'll start with the, the very important points you raised concerning dignity. I think there are, everyone may have different opinions on that or different views. I would say dignity comes from, the, from within the person. 
himself or herself. I would think even a person without faith would see that in a purely human way, the dignity of the human person. It doesn't come from the circumstances around them. From the point of view of faith, it comes from those who we see people as a child of God, as someone who has inherently dig inherent dignity. Every person must be treated with reverence. Did John Paul II have dignity? When he was a 58-year-old pope skiing down mountains, he had dignity. Did he have dignity when he was dying, in the last years of his life, when he, he couldn't, uh, you know, he had many different things which were, uh, his body was breaking down. I would say he had dignity then and he had dignity at the other time as well. Dignity comes from within the human person. I would say dignity comes with the reverence we give to a person. And that's why we should surround them and care for them. Think of Mother Teresa. Think of, do the people she served, do they have dignity? Yes, they did. And she tried to help them in their suffering and care. Dignity comes from within. Dignity, I would say, comes from God. It is something that we are all, and what we are doing and we've been doing for hundreds and a couple thousand years is surrounding a person, reverencing their dignity. And that's why we don't believe it's right to kill them. We think that's just not right. That is not the way to dignity. On palliative care, I think we need to not only talk about it, I think it needs to be dealt with at the federal, provincial, and municipal levels. I think and certainly the private level. I can tell you in my own diocese, I can't speak for other religious groups. We have various initiatives. Just this afternoon, I got a proposal for another palliative care place that we're going to be thinking of putting uh, in the center of Toronto. We do this. We're on the ground. We're, we're doing it. We're caring. And But I do think it would help a lot if this was funded. I mean, what are we spending money on in our country? I would think caring for those who have dignity inherent within them from the first moment of their life to, to the time when they go to the end of this life, at the end of their earthly journey. And so I think we need to not just talk about it, I think we need to do something about it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.